Thanks for checking out the Vox Church podcast. We are so honored to have you join us, and we hope this message speaks to you in a powerful way. Learn more about Vox Church by visiting us online at voxchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Good morning. You excited to be here today? Take a moment. Good morning. Welcome to Vox. If you're new to Vox Church, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here. We want to take a second and always just love to welcome all of our locations all across Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Haven. Can we put our hands together and say good morning? Good morning. Welcome to church. Vox is one church in seven locations. Seven locations. Come on, turn to the person next to you and tell them, you look good today. You really do. You look good. It's, it's summer and it's beautiful. Well, church, if you've been with us for any length of time, You know that one of the things we love to do here at Vox is we love to teach in series. And so we'll take four weeks, we'll take six weeks, sometimes longer, to focus on one topic and to focus on, you know, one particular uh, part of the scriptures or various different elements of our faith. And for the next 28 days, for the next four weeks, I really believe that we are going to be focusing on one of the most important elements of the Christian faith and one of the most important disciplines of our lives. And it's 28 days to commit ourselves to go to a whole new level in understanding how to read the Bible and how to pray. Now, for many of us, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know, this might be something that you're used to. You say, oh, Justin, I've read the Bible or, oh, you know, I have times of prayer every day. Or maybe for you, this is something new where you say, I really don't know how to read the Bible. I'm not really sure how to pray. Wherever you find yourself, I can promise you that the next 28 days, if you dive in with us, will completely, radically change your life. I really believe that. And so for months now, uh, members of the team here at Vox have been preparing for these 28 days and it all starts today. So go on, let's find somebody around you and say, you came on the right Sunday. You came on the right Sunday, Middletown, Bridgeport, all of our locations. And so I want to just share a little bit about what we're going to be doing for the next 28 days. Okay. For the next 28 days, I want to invite you to develop with us a greater discipline for getting alone with God praying, seeking God, and reading the Bible. Now, you may already have that routine in your life, and that's great. If you do, we're thankful for that. We want to ask you to kind of pause your routine for the next month, and with us for the next month, walk through a devotional that we've prepared for every single person at all of our locations all across Connecticut, Massachusetts. So this little book that you're going to get when you walk out is going to be your guide for the next 28 days to push you to a whole new level of understanding the Word of God and understanding powerful, life-changing, effective prayer. I am so stoked about this book. I mean, we've been working on it for months, but it is not just beautiful. Thank you, Vox Creative Team. It is also packed with such insightful wisdom, and it's really going to be an incredible resource for you. So let me just explain for a moment what we're going to be doing over the next 28 days, okay? First, we're going to be sowing God's word into our minds and into our hearts, okay? And so we're going to be learning to interact with the Bible in three specific ways. The first, and we did a little acronym so you can remember. The first is we're going to learn how to systematically read the scripture. So I'm inviting you for the next four weeks to read the gospel of Mark with us together, reading the same passage the same day for the next 28 days to begin to develop the discipline of systematically reading the scripture. Then on other days, 
days throughout the week, we're going to be looking at a, what we'll call a one topic study. Okay. We're going to be studying as a church together. What does it mean to understand that I am in Christ? If you've been at Vox any length of time, you've heard me talk a lot about living in Christ. We're going to be studying scriptures that deal specifically with how I live in Christ. And so one way you can study the Bible is through systematically reading through a book. Another way is to take a topic like being in Christ and study the texts that deal with that topic. So that's two ways. And then W, we're going to wait and repeat. All right. Wait and repeat means we're going to go over the things we've learned each week, meditate on them deeply and get them in our hearts. So together over the next four weeks, we're going to be sowing God's word into our minds like we never have before. Then at the same time, we're going to develop the discipline of prayer. Now, prayer is such a life changing powerful tool. And for some of us, the truth is we've never really cultivated a deep understanding of prayer. Well, your understanding is about to go a whole lot deeper. And I'm convinced that your prayer life is going to go to a whole new level in the next four weeks. And so we're going to be digging deeper in prayer. Come on, we work hard on these little acronyms and I know you appreciate them. So we're going to be digging deeper in prayer. Well, what does that mean? To dig means to demonstrate your love for God. That's in worship. Okay. To worship God and to understand what does it mean to really demonstrate my love. And then we're going to learn about intercession and requests, how to make requests of God and get those requests answered by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to learn about godly confession, not just confession of sin, but confession of who you are in Christ. Okay. And so here's what I believe. What will change? What will change if you do this with us in the next 28 days? Now it's going to take some time. Okay. We're challenging you to dedicate an hour every day. You go, Oh, I just, I don't have an hour. Yes, you do. You have an hour. Okay. I promise you can do it. Maybe you split it up 30 minutes, 30 minutes. Maybe you do it all in the morning. However routine works for you to dedicate one hour. That's the goal every day to dig deeper just for 28 days. And if you do that with us, what will change? I want to give you four things, and I've been praying about this for the last few weeks, four things that I believe will change in your life if you take this challenge with us. The first is I see God. I believe that you'll begin to see God more clearly. You'll begin to see who he is, how he thinks, how he operates. Your vision of God will be clarified. Number two, I see me. You'll start to see yourself. You'll develop a greater self-awareness, become more aware of the struggles in your life and the gifts that God's given you so that you can see life more clearly. Number three, I know God. There'll be a relationship with God that goes deeper. Not just I know about God, but I personally and intimately know him. And number four, I feel it. Come on, somebody say, I feel it. I feel it. You know, in our faith, it's so important not just to say we believe it, but to actually feel it. You need to know peace, not just up here, but in here. You need to know joy, not just up here, but in here. You need to know that God is for you, not just up here, but in your soul. And I believe that if you will commit the next 28 days to go on this adventure with us, you will feel it like you've never felt it before in Jesus name. I really believe it. And so that's what we're doing for the next 28 days. Every one of us is going to get one of these for free before you leave. Don't walk out without one. And we're going to take the next four weeks during our sermon time to really meditate on the Bible and prayer and how we practice these things at a whole nother level. And so in order to do that, I invited to kick us off at this series, one of my favorite human beings on planet earth, an amazing man of God that many of you guys know. And this church deeply loves pastor Mike Schnepp to come out and share. So Mike, can you come on out? Come on, give him a big, you can do a whole lot better than that. 
everybody. Thank you. Hi, good morning, church. Come on, let's take a moment, pass some of that honor backwards. Are you grateful for our lead pastor? Come on, honor him. Aren't you thankful? We are coming out of an incredibly powerful series over these last couple of weeks on the subject and topic of intimacy. And so if you missed any of those, make sure you go back and catch them. They have been incredibly powerful and informative. Uh, excited to be with you. So excited as a church just to begin this series together. I'm glad that you're here. Glad that you're here as we kick this off. Welcome to you. If this is your first time to Vox, we would just want to say that we love you. Here at Vox, we are glad that you're here. And so welcome. All right, let's, uh, let's open our time together in a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? God in heaven, we thank you that there are no ordinary Sundays. That God, we've gathered here today as we open up your word, expectant, knowing that you have something to say to each and every single one of us. God, our faith is high. That we are going to walk out these doors different than we walked in. And so in Jesus' name, we thank you for all that you're going to do. We open our hearts to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen, amen. The title of this morning's talk is Of Paintings and Rocks. I was reading this week about a, a man in Indiana who went to a tag sale, had some things to pick up for his house, and uh, went, found a bunch of different things, some furniture, some paintings, some other small things, and bartered it down to $29. Brought it down to his house, began to uh, assemble it. He had a, a hole in the drywall, so he took the painting and put it on top of that and assembled some furniture and had some friends over and was playing a game called Masterpiece. Masterpiece is a game surrounding some of art's most beautiful and rare pieces. And he's playing this game Masterpiece, and he's looking down at the board, and he's looking up at the wall. He's looking back at the board, and he realized there's a similarity. And so he gets... It appraised and sells an original Johnson Heed for a cool $1.25 million. There's a Filipino fisherman who not long ago was diving, came across this beautiful rock at the bottom of the ocean, hauled it out, thought it was just really, really pleasing to look at, so he hid it under his bed as a good luck charm. Every time he'd go fishing, he'd touch the rock. Well, it turns out a few years later, he decides to move. And it's about 75 pounds, so he says, you know, I'm not going to bother. I'm going to just give this to my aunt for her to hold on to. It's been a good luck charm for me. And she says, you know, there's something a little interesting about this rock. Turns out it's a lot more than a rock. It's actually the world's largest pearl, a $130 million pearl. Crazy, right? See, there's, there's something about these stories of things that are common to us, of, of, of things that are just regular, that we hear about this, these life-changing moments when suddenly people understand the value of what they have. And I wonder, if you're anything like me, sometimes the more common something is, the, the more used to something I am, the less I can seem to appreciate it. Anybody ever know what that feels like? I find this in, in my own life as it pertains to the scriptures. You know, littered around my house are eight or nine different copies of the Bible and different translations. And if I'm honest, there are mornings I wake up and I go, well, I guess I should probably just read my Bible today. Is that a little too honest? Is that, can we say that here? Is that okay? You know? Is it a little too honest to say, God, there are some times when I'm just not wowed by your scriptures. God, I come to them and they're just average. I put my coffee right on top of them. They're every day. What is it? that I'm missing out on because of this. You know, we look throughout history. This book, I cannot tell you the countless number of people who have given their lives in order that we could have a copy of this in our hands. 
You think of men like William Tyndale, who was the very first translator into the English language of the scriptures, burned at the stake because he did that. I think of John Huss, who was the first translator into the Czech language, burned at the stake in the 1600s. In recent years, there's a man named Edmund Fabian, who was translating the scriptures into a new language in Papua New Guinea, killed for his work. Maybe you heard over the last three or four years the story of four Bible translators in the Middle East who were killed by militants because of their work translating the Bible. Across the world, it is, it is illegal to actually even own a Bible in so many places. Places like Uzbekistan and Libya, Morocco and the Maldives. You can get thrown in jail for reading the Bible. And so night after night in small homes by candlelight, oftentimes over whispered voices in basements, People read the scriptures. Sometimes just one page is all they have. And they pour over it. And they memorize it. And they speak it to one another. And I hear these things and I say, what do they know that I don't? Why don't I appreciate it the way they do? What am I missing out on? Maybe a little more pointedly, what are you missing out on? Because we don't grasp the weight of the treasure that we have. For so many of us, the Bible is the painting on the wall worth a million dollars, the rock under the bed worth an unforeseen treasure. It's the treasure that we don't even know we have, all right? And so for the next four weeks, come on, I want to urge you and push you. It's time for us, Vox Church, to go a little deeper in the scriptures. I believe that God has called us to a next level of understanding and appreciation of who God is and who we are as a result of him. And I am in so much expectant faith that over these next four weeks, your life, my life will be radically transformed as we go on this journey together, all right? Will you go on this with us? Come on, are you excited about this? And let me just tell you, let me, let me, let me tell you, this book right here, it is super dope. It is filled with original artwork. Our creative team has worked incredibly hard, and so I think it's right and fitting, church. Come on, can we thank our creative team? Come on. Everything you see from the cards to the books, those guys are killing it. Come on, this morning we ask a simple question that carries a profound answer. Why are the scriptures so important to me? Why should they matter to me and to my life? Simple questions, deep answers. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read four verses starting in 14. And it says this. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work, for every single good work. I don't know if you saw the movie Lion. Came out in 2017, was nominated for all sorts of awards, and it tells this incredibly powerful story of a five-year-old boy named Saru Brearley, who grew up in rural India. Saru was a part of a family that was impoverished, and so oftentimes he and his brother would scour the streets and the trains for leftover coins and for food in order that he could bring them back to his family and help support the family. One day he and his brother go out, and they're on this train, and his brother heads out for a little while. Saru falls asleep, not realizing it's an out-of-service train headed all the way back hundreds of miles to the city of Calcutta, far, far away from his home. 
And so Saru wakes up and begins the state of panic, knowing that he doesn't know where he's from, and he doesn't even know where he's going. He gets dropped off in the city of Calcutta, and there are these harrowing three weeks where he's dodging kidnappers and all sorts of craziness, till eventually he gets brought to an orphanage. And this incredibly um, nice Australian couple adopts him. And it's the story of Saru, that as he grows up in this home in Australia, he begins to be haunted by the questions of his turbulent past. He, he begins to just wonder, who am I? I don't even know where I came from. I don't even really know what, what my name is. Who am I? And, and sometime in his early 20s, he discovered Google Earth. Remember Google Earth? I don't even know if it's still around. Google Earth. You could scan into every single part of the earth. And so he begins this obsessive search to find home. And he's got these, these very, very kind of brief images in his mind of his house and of his town. And so for five years, he's searching through India. He's, he's following the train lines, just looking for anything that's similar. And in this incredible story, he sees one day, five years into this search, this water tower in the city of Kandwa. And something stirs in him and he realizes, I know that water tower. See, this search, he had gone to extraordinary lengths. His finances were affected. His relationships were affected. His family was affected. But he had to go on this search. And so he gets off a plane in the city of Kandwa. And you see him just beginning to walk through the city. This, this rural area. And things become familiar. The roads just, just feel familiar. The pitter-patter of feet the honking of car horns, and he knows, I'm home. And there's this incredible moment where these villagers find him, see who he is, and bring him to this elderly woman. And he and his mom come running together, hugging through tears, and I dare you to watch it without crying, okay? My wife and I are watching it, and she looks over, and I'm like, I'm not even embarrassed. Are you seeing what's happening right now? Like, this is incredible, all right? There's something so moving about this man who's been searching for home his entire life, and he finally finds it. What is it in us that needs to know, who am I? Who am I? You know, I, I find myself asking the question as I read this story. You know, Saru grows up in an affluent home, not far from the beach, not far, uh, never wanting for anything. But why is this pursuit so important to him? Because it would seem that, that hardwired into our souls is this need to know who we are. And it's more than just who am I, right? We need to answer these questions of, of do I have value? Do I have purpose? Do I matter? Does my life actually mean anything? And maybe you're here today and in a similar way, you know what that feels like. Maybe you're honest and life is, is pretty good in a lot of ways right now. The job is going well. Family's going fine. Things could always be better, but in general, things are going fairly well. But on the inside, you know that there is this unsettledness in your spirit. Because your soul is asking those very same questions. Those very same questions. Paul says here in this text, this little phrase, three words. Wise for salvation. Wise for salvation. From the beginning of time, God has wanted relationship with you. God has designed you to interact with him as a father and a child. 
Our sin and our selfishness have separated us from him. And so God in his love and grace and mercy in due time sends his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die, to be raised again in order so that through our faith in that work of Jesus, our relationship with him can be possible again. But I want to remind you this morning. Salvation, wise for self, it's more than just where you go when you die. It's more than just heaven. Salvation is about a transfer. It's a transfer into the family of God. A family where you can very today be both fully known and fully loved. A family in which you are loved, not for what you do first, but who you are first. A family that knows everything about you and still loves you in a way you couldn't possibly imagine. So if you stand here today with faith in the finished work of Christ, you are a child of God. And that should wow us. And so often... Yeah, it should wow us. That's how we should respond. But so often... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm a child of God. Right? Come on. I see that in my own life. I bet you see it in yours. It doesn't wow us. Because it's not important? No. Because I don't know that we interact with that reality in the scriptures often enough. I want to challenge you this morning that life would look radically different if day after day you filled your mind and your heart with the information about who you are in God, who you are as a child of God. I can guarantee that life would look a little bit different. And so I want to do an exercise. I want to do an exercise. I want to show you the power of what this could look like in your life, okay? So go on a little journey with me. Just, just take a moment. I want to ask you to do something daring. Close your eyes. Come on, you can put your hand on your wallet while they're closed if you want. Close your eyes with me for a second. Come on, just one, one example of what it would look like to do this out of Ephesians 1. Paul writes this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Come on, keep your eyes closed. Just receive this, reminding of who you are. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. That's you. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Come on, he's not even done. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. And lastly, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Finally, church, a place for you to bring those questions. Finally, a place where those questions could get answered. And you say, who am I? Church, look at me. You are a child of God. You are united with Christ. You are chosen and adopted. You ask the question, do I matter? Do you matter? Are you kidding me? God says, I sent my son to give his life on your behalf so that I could forgive your sins because I want relationship with you. Yeah, there's more. Come on. Do I have purpose? 
Do you have purpose? He is the God of the entire universe who has a plan for your life. He invites you into his cosmic plan with a gift and wiring and plan tailored to who you are. And he sets you out to be a part of his plan for redeeming this world. Come on. What if you walked into every meeting freshly reminded, I have been given wisdom and understanding by God? That would change the way you talk in that meeting, wouldn't it? Are you sure you know what you're talking about? I've been given wisdom and understanding by God. Right? Imagine with me if you went into every single day with a fresh reminder of who you are. Listen, that's one example out of one chapter, right? Life would look a little bit different if we poured that into our souls every single morning, wouldn't it? Imagine with me the insecurities that are defeated, the fears that are banished, the confidence that you walk in. And this is the first thing as we answer these questions, why are the scriptures so important? It's this concept of family. I know who I am. Family, I know who I am. Now come on, wouldn't it be great if families were just perfect? Think about your family. You're like, listen, I don't need perfect. I just need a little bit easier, you know? Now every family has its own, yeah. Yes and amen, everyone says. Everyone's family has its issues because every single one of us has our struggles and our issues. Wouldn't it be so much easier if when we came to faith in Jesus, all of our struggles, all of our difficulties, all of the things that that were hampering us and keeping us down just magically began to disappear? Wouldn't that be a little bit easier? But I don't know about you, that has not been my personal experience. You can ask my wife. It's not been my experience. The older I get, it seems the more I find myself apologizing. All right, anybody else? Know what that's like? Come on, why does it seem to take so long for these things to be eradicated from our lives? Now imagine with me, what would it look like for those things that just immediately pop to mind when I talk about this, to no longer be a part of your life? What if they no longer existed? What would that feel like? Imagine with me what life might feel like if those things were gone. Maybe you're here and you battle with jealousy. Just imagine with me for a minute if you, walked up to, if you woke up tomorrow and all the things you were jealous about just no longer bothered you. You're here and you battle with rage. Imagine if you woke up tomorrow and the rage was gone. You battle with addiction. Tomorrow you wake up and the addictions are gone. It would be an absolute relief. But most of us, we look at that possibility and we think there is no way that could ever happen. You know why? Because I've tried. Right? We get up and we fall. We get up again. And we fall again. We try a third time, fall. We try a fourth time, fall. Fifth, sixth, seventh. And eventually we get to this place where where our hearts just grow a little calloused to the idea that we won't actually give in to that thing. Right? We, We grow callous to this idea of freedom. And we say that's a nice concept in the scriptures, that by his spirit we can find freedom. But I'm pretty confident that's not actually for me. There's this callousness. And we just kind of settle in that this is going to be our reality. That this will just be with me. That this is just the way things are. But I wonder, what if we've been going about it the wrong way? What if we've been going about it the wrong way? You know, in high school, I had a few years that were really far from God. And so uh, 
sophomore, junior, and senior year, I had a propensity of getting myself in trouble in high school. And there was this one teacher. She may attend our Springfield campus where I grew up, Mrs. Rinkavage. I am very, very sorry, okay? I had this propensity for getting myself in trouble and thrown out of class, okay? So Mrs. Rinkavage would fairly regularly just say, all right, that's enough. Go to the principal's office. The problem for me was my dad was the principal. So regularly, it would be go to the principal, and then it would just be, okay, go see your dad. And I'd go see him, and he'd be like, what did you say to her now? I'm like, I just like pushing your buttons a little bit, you know? And it would seem... Perhaps that my four-year-old has inherited some of these things, all right? I'm just saying, I'm seeing signs. You know, we, uh, we like to think that she has executive leadership potential, all right? So you can be praying with us. We're just hoping that God, God pushes that towards leading perhaps a worship team and not a prison gang, all right? So God, would you just, just put that? And so, you know, I'm well accustomed with the call to the principal's office. It was a new experience when I got called there on behalf of my four-year-old, and so there's some behavior things that they're trying to fix and work on. And so we came home and I'm sitting down with her and we're talking about the things. And I realize as I'm trying to correct the behavior that I'm not tapping into as I'm praying the very things that have been most transformative for me and seeing life change. And so rather than just saying, Taylor, listen, you need to listen to your teachers better. You need to, you need to, you need to try harder, try harder. I looked her in the eye and I said, Taylor Jean, you are a schnep. And this is not how schneps behave, okay? (laughs) Schneps listen to their teachers and they bring smiles to the faces of their kids. And so now we, of their friends. And so we've developed this habit now where every morning, before she goes, I say, Taylor, who are you? And she says, I'm a schnep. And I say, what do schneps do? And in her cute four-year-old voice, she says, schneps make people happy. And I say, so tell me what that means to you today. And she says, I'm going to listen to my teacher and I'm going to love my friends well. Because you know what I've discovered in my life? That behavior change only seems to happen when it gets tied to new identity. There's a strength of will that seems to come when we know who we are. And instead of just gritting our teeth with discipline and trying to make a change, instead, informed by who we are, we begin to walk out new levels of holiness, new levels of freedom. And I don't know about you, but in my journey, trying hard has never quite been enough. It's only when I've begun to understand who I am in God that the real lasting power and freedom have been found. Because I want you to notice in our text, I don't know if you noticed it, There's a very specific order that God walks us through, right? I think many of us operate from the paradigm of, of, man, if I clean myself up, I can make myself acceptable and presentable to God. But church, you know, listen, this flies in the face of the gospel. We completely miss it. See, the order here is so important. First, through our faith, God brings us into his family, and then he goes about the work of making us look more like his son. Right? Don't get it backwards. You have no power if you're just trying to make the change so that you can please God. No, no, no. God says, listen, you are my child, and out of that identity, there are ways that this family behaves. And I'm going to lovingly bring you through a process so that you can actually see what that looks like. And so as we begin to interact with the scriptures, we see that in every single way, they are highlighting Christ. They are putting Jesus on display. The scriptures are God's love letter to mankind as he displays for us who his son is and what his son has done. And so when we regularly come before the scriptures and we interact with it, we're blown away by what Christ has done for us. And that produces love in our hearts. 
that, that produces adoration in our hearts. Our souls begin to, to cultivate. Not this attitude of, of duty and obligation in following him. No, 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 no. But love and gratitude. And look at me today. Love is an infinitely stronger motivator than duty. Love is an infinitely stronger motivator than duty. And therein lies the secret of freedom and lasting change. Freedom and lasting change. Take a second with me and go there again. Just in the quiet of your spirit, the quiet of your heart, would you believe that over these next 28 days, that struggle, that thing that popped to mind the moment I talked about it, would you just allow yourself to pull that scab off Pull the band-aid back, that wound, that callous thing that's been grown over your heart. Would you just peel that back and believe once more that even in four weeks, you can be forever changed. That that thing doesn't have to be with you anymore. That's the power held in the scriptures. That's it. See, you enter his family and God says, it's okay. Now it's time to go about making you look more like my son. Now that you're a part of my family, he says, I'm going to begin showing you how my family behaves. Paul writes about it this way, and he says it like this. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Come on, he's showing us the process of how that changed. Once once I've learned who I am, then God goes about the process of making me look more like his son Jesus. And he says it starts with teaching. What does that mean? It means that he begins to inform our mind. You can't interact with the scriptures for very long without butting up against something that goes against your natural tendencies or your natural beliefs, right? Maybe you were forced to wrestle with some of those over the last four weeks. And God's beginning to tell you how he views that thing. He wants to tell you how he wants you to handle money, how you are to treat your enemies, how you are to interact with people. He's informing your mind. And almost immediately, I bet you know what this feels like, As your mind gets awakened to God's will, your heart suddenly becomes convicted of like, oh, no, no, no. That's not what my life looks like. And that's what reproof means. That second piece of the process for teaching, for reproof. It's another word for conviction. And so he informs our mind and then begins to speak to our hearts. And he says, my son, my daughter, that doesn't align with who you are as a member of this family. And then after he speaks to your heart, he moves you to correction. This word is is like course correction. He says, okay, now that you know, now that I've begun speaking it to your heart, now you've got some decisions to make. You've got some some hard conversations you have to have. You've got a relationship that you need to end. You've got a conversation with your boss that you need to tell him that you've been lying. You've got some things you need to do. And so he pushes us and he urges us to make those course correcting changes. But he doesn't just leave us there. The fourth thing. He says, and I train you in righteousness. Okay, I train you. I'm going to show you what it looks like to live this way. And so we see this process that at, at all times God is moving us through. In different ways and in different measures, he's moving us through. And you say, man, that doesn't sound so special. What's the magic of that? The magic is the place from which you're doing it, right? You're not earning it. You're working from that identity. No longer working so that God will accept you. No, no. It's because he accepts you that you go on this journey with him. And there's power. There's power. It says this in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, so then, 
Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet we do not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy. And we will find the grace to help us when we need it most. Come on, in common terms, the scriptures tell us you can tag team that sin with Jesus. That he's in your corner working on your behalf. That he knows what you're going through. And you say, God, I can't do it. God, I'm hanging on by a thread. Instead of falling off the cliff, you invite him into it. He says to you, listen, I have all the strength you need. You cannot do it on your own. That's why you keep falling. That's why you keep failing. Because you keep trying to do this out of your strength. What if you grabbed a hold of mine and together we walked through this? And that's the power of being a member of the family of God. And that's the second thing that the scriptures inform us and teach us. And we're going to call it this. Formation. Formation is the process of being made more like his son. A new path to freedom. A new path to freedom. Now listen, I'm not saying that this process is always easy or is always fun. You know, in different places, the Bible is described as a hammer. <laughs> it's described as a chisel. It's described as a, as a scalpel. scalpel. And if you've ever been on the wrong end of one of those, you know that they hurt, right? Those things hurt. And so we're there. And God's working on us. And we're like, God, why are you doing this? He's got this, this picture that he uses throughout the, the Bible of a sculptor. Of an artist. I don't know if you've ever seen a sculptor work. They get this big block of granite or ice or something else. And they have these massive tools. They just begin to chunk off big sections of it. And oftentimes when we first come to God, he's chunking off these big sections of our lives that don't look anything like it, like him. And as we get older in him, it begins to, to go finer tools. Okay, now, now I'm going to chisel this little thing. You know, when a sculptor looks at a block of granite and has an image of, a, of something in his mind and he keeps shaping and cutting and carving until the sculpture in his mind is what he sees with his eyes. And in the very same way, God is doing that with you. See, God has a picture of his son that he wants to put in you and he wants to operate through you. And he's not going to stop working on you until what he sees for you is reality. Right? And so you ask yourself, God... Kind of hurts. That chisel. It's annoying. <laughs> Come on, can you knock that off? Haven't, haven't we gotten close enough? And he's like, no, 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 no. See, God is relentless in making us look more like his son. And this is his main tool for going about that. You interact with this, and through the Holy Spirit, he applies it to your heart. And in that process, he is making you more like your son. And yes, it hurts, but it is always for your good. Why? Why does he keep doing this? Why? Because God has even bigger dreams and plans for your life than you have for yourself. God has even bigger plans and dreams for your life than you have for yourself. You say, God, why all the work? 
God, can't you just leave me alone? Why do you keep pressing me about that area of my life, about that thing that, that I know, just, just leave it alone? He says, no, no, I'm not content because I'm ready to unleash you to change the world. I'm ready to, to unleash you to bring about my love in powerful ways that you never even knew you could be used by, but you're not ready. And so I'm going to keep pressing you. I'm going to keep working on you. And listen, if you'll allow him to go through that process, you will find yourself ready. Ready to step into things you never possibly saw coming. Paul writes about it and he says it this way. After he describes becoming a child of God and then he describes the process that which God wants to bring us through, he says that, that, why? That, the man of God, he's writing to his friend Timothy here, leading the church in Ephesus, so he's talking about him, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good word. That word equipped, it could be translated intended, fitted for its intended purpose. Equipped means to be fitted for its intended purpose. Look at me today. You are made, designed, created with a specific purpose in mind. All that correcting, all that conviction, teaching, and training. He is fitting you. He is shaping you. He is molding you for his eternal purpose. You say, man, I don't don't have an eternal purpose. Man, I'm just trying to get through my nine to five. Man, I'm just trying to get home from work without killing that annoying coworker. God says this to you. Also, through his scriptures, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork. Yes, you are, because he's working on you right now. His handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you catch that? Your life, I don't care how mundane it seems, I don't care how boring it seems, is created, what's the word say? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are called to a specific mission. You are called to be of something unique and important. Your life has a purpose. You've been created with a unique set of gifts and talents that God wants to use to transform this world with his love. And it can be any number of things. I don't care if you're here and you're 62 and you're, you're wondering what's next or you're 12 and you don't see it yet. God has a specific purpose for you in mind. Listen, some of you in the room are going to change an entire family tree because you shared Christ with your coworker. Some of you are going to start businesses that make a lot of money and you're going to fund the kingdom of God around the world. Some of you are going to toil in secret as stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home dads and you're going to raise kids that know and love God and treasure Jesus. Some of you are going to be called to stay and serve here in Vox. And some of you are called to go around the world and translate the scriptures into new language. One is not more important to the others because it is unique to you. And you're going to find that as you read the scriptures, things start to come in life in you that you didn't even know existed. Burdens begin to arise in your hearts that were never there before. You're going to find a new way of looking at things that you never saw before. Because while he's teaching you, And he's showing you what it looks like to live as a member of his family. He's also giving you his heart. He's giving you his heart, and in doing so, you begin to see the world a little bit differently. Not just his heart for the world, but his plans and purposes for you as well. And let me tell you, there is a life of joy and satisfaction 
that you may have never thought possible, that is available to you as you begin to walk knowing your purpose. Knowing why God has created you. Knowing what you're supposed to do that day. God has given that to you. Life can be filled with satisfaction that you didn't know possible when I understand the mission to which he has called and I begin to get on that with him. You will find a level of fulfillment in your life that you never knew could be. This is the third thing that Paul teaches us. We're going to call it this, fulfillment. My ultimate purpose found. Come on, can you imagine with me what it would be like to get up every single day with a sense of purpose and destiny, with conviction in your heart that as a result of your life today, the world is going to look different, that as a result of what you're going to do today, the world will know his love a little bit more. Can you believe that heaven will look a little bit different as a result of your faithful work? God wants to give that to you. He wants to inspire you through his scriptures. See, his scriptures come alive as you read them, as you interact with them, and you learn in new ways the power of the things he's called you to. Church, would you stand with me? Would you stand? So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? I'm going to ask you this morning to make a commitment, a commitment to doing this, to going on this journey with us over the next four weeks. You know, I can tell you that as a leadership team, as a staff, we have all committed to do this together. My wife and I talked about it. We've decided what we're going to do is we're going to do it together at night, just the two of us. And so maybe it's something you can do with your spouse or with a friend, or maybe you just do it in the quiet every single morning where no one sees and no one knows, but your Father in heaven does. And I believe that if you will do this, you will begin to see things change in your heart in rapid ways. Imagine what it would feel like to operate in a new level of understanding every single day of who you are in God. Imagine if freedom was actually found, available to you, that you could actually walk and not be tripped up by those very same things you've been cycling through. And what if you could wake up every morning knowing exactly what you have been called to and why you have made you? That would get you out of bed every single morning. And so I want to ask you right now, would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to ask you something bold right now. Church, I'm going to ask right here, On this Sunday, June 2nd, if you will make a commitment right now, would you make a commitment to go on this with us? That over these next four weeks, as you grab this book, that you would make it a part of your daily life. That you would carve out some time. Listen, I know everybody's lives are busy. I believe that you could make the time for this. And I guarantee if you do, you won't regret it. So what's the risk? What's the risk? It's a free book. It doesn't cost you anything. What's the risk? What's the risk? Come on, bow your heads with me. Consider this question. God, can I do this? I want to ask you right now, if you are willing to go on this journey, would you do something? Would you just raise your hand and just say, I'm going to do this. Come on, as a part of this church family, I'm going to go on this journey with you. No matter where you are, right? God right now calling you calling you right now. Go on this journey. Go on this journey. God's going to transform your life. Come on, raise your expectancy and faith that right now God is going to meet you. In just four weeks, life won't look different. You're going to stand here in the beginning of July and you're going to say, wow, I'm even more changed than I expected, right? And so God, we, right now we believe 
That God, over the next four weeks, God, that you're going to call us to new levels in you. God, you're going to help us understand who you are. God, your scriptures, they put Jesus on display. And so we thank you that as we, we learn to love him and honor him, God, our souls finally answer the question, well, who am I? And our souls can finally rest as we find home. And so God, as each one of us in our own ways tries to just carve out time for this, God, I pray that you would meet us. Give us courage and boldness where we need it. Allow us to move things around in our schedule to make more of you. And Holy Spirit, as you highlight Christ through the scriptures, we thank you that we will never be the same. In just four weeks, we believe we will never be the same, that this will set us on a journey that we will never look back from. God, I believe that we, hundreds of us, thousands even, will look back on June 2nd and say, I tried this silly little thing that that guy on stage asked me to do, and I tell you what, from that day forward, things never look the same. Things never look the same. That's the power of the scriptures, and God, we believe it. And so as we take this journey, we thank you in advance that that will be our experience. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Fox Church seeks to reach New England and beyond with the life-transforming message of Jesus. If you have been impacted by this message or the ministry of Vox Church, you can continue to help us reach others by giving today at voxchurch.org forward slash give. For more information on how to get involved, visit us online or on any social media platform at vox.church. We always appreciate you taking the time to rate or review this message on iTunes. Thanks again for listening to the Vox Church Podcast.